Hello everybody, this is Jacob back again with another episode for you. Today we're going to talk about the luckiest and unluckiest people in history. So get ready and strap in because this is going to be a good one. Alright, this is Casual History. first one starts with Walter Summerford. Um, so it was a British soldier who later moved to Canada. He was struck by lightning four times, three times in his life, and once even in death. And I'll also talk a little bit about the controversy afterwards um, with the death part in mind. So let's just go ahead and jump right into the first little bit of this. So the first lightning strike that happened, the first time Summerford was struck by lightning was in World War I. As Summerford was marching on his horse in the Belgian front, he was struck by lightning out of nowhere. The strike threw him off his horse. However, the lightning strike did not kill him, although he wished it would have because he became paralyzed from his hips down, making him incapacitated and confined to a wheelchair. This meant that Summerford could not fight anymore, and he was upset that he was unable to lead his men into battle. The second strike, after the war, Walter had decided to start a new life in Canada. He tried to have a family of his own and became very passionate about outdoor activities such as fishing. Walter spent many days fishing. He even won many fishing competitions. His paralysis caused by the first strike had never stopped him from achieving what he wanted. Sadly, in 1924, when Walter was out fishing, he was once again struck by lightning. This time, he wasn't directly struck as the lightning struck a tree he was sitting right underneath, but the current traveled through the tree and ended up being absorbed by Walter. What is even more interesting is the second strike may have helped him with his paralysis because two days after being struck again, he was able to use his legs once more. The third strike, and the final time Walter would be struck by lightning was in 1930. Six years after the second strike, Walter was a new man as he was able to use his legs, so he started walking through lots of forests, especially parks. As Walter was having one of his usual walks around the local park, the weather changed all of a sudden from a sunny day to a sky filled with dark, angry clouds. A few moments after, Walter heard a sound which he had already been too familiar with. As he tried to run for cover, he once again was struck by lightning, but this time leaving him completely paralyzed from head to toe. Despite how unlucky Walter is considered to be, he is still quite lucky for being able to survive three lightning strikes in a lifetime. No rest even after death. From 1930, after the third strike, Walter had to fight with a lot of medical complications, managing to survive just two more years and then passing away in 1932. His family said that he was even afraid to be alive anymore, going senile thinking that someone had actually cursed him as he was struck by lightning even after his death. So the final strike was in 1936, four years after his funeral while Walter was buried in Mountain View Cemetery in Vancouver. His tombstone was struck by lightning, assured by his family as well as other locals that someone had cursed this man. With such low chances that even an event like this would happen so many times to the same person, we could also consider Walter Summerford's life as an achievement of the narrowest odds in the world. Alright, so to address some of the controversy around this, many postings have a photo of a broken gravestone. Um, the first name is unreadable and the year of death being 1912. So that is not in agreement with the Walter Summerfield version of this story. So there's many different like ideas about this. 
Um, and they also believe it could have led from a previous story about a man named C.J. Summerford, who is a legend who has struck by lightning three times, the fourth time being on his gravestone. But even then, the people in that state could not verify that that gravestone was struck by lightning, and that's the reason why it was broken. So the mystery lives on. All right, so moving on from all the lightning, the next person I'm going to talk about was a lady named Violet Jessup. So, born in 1887 in Argentina to Irish immigrants, Jessup contracted tuberculosis at a very young age and was expected only to survive a few months. Somehow, she recovered and went on to live a long and healthy life. After her father died, Jessup's mother moved with the family to England to begin work as a stewardess on a ship when she became very, very ill. Violet, who was attending a convent school, stepped up to be the ship's stewardess herself. Only 21 years old, Violet had difficulty finding a job as a stewardess as employers feared her youth and good looks would cause problems with the crew and passengers. In fact, she did receive at least three proposals, including one from a wealthy first-class passenger over the course of her career. Violet decided to make herself look frumpy with old clothes and no makeup. So after a short stint on the Aronico, a royal mainline streamer, she was hired by the White Star Line in 1908 to serve aboard the Majestic. In 1910, she began working aboard the Olympic. One year later, the Olympic collided with HMS Hawk, a ship designed to sink ships by ramming into them. Although ships sustained considerable damage, the ship did not sink and made it back to port. Violet disembarked without being harmed. A couple years later, the White Star Line was looking for a crew to cater to the VIP sailing on the Titanic. Violet took a job aboard the unsinkable ship. She actually escaped the ship's sinking in Lifeboat 16. I was ordered up to the deck. Calmly, passengers strolled about. I stood at the bulkhead with other stewardesses, watching as women clung to their husbands before being put into the lifeboats with their children. Sometimes after, the ship's officer ordered us into a boat first to show the women that it was safe, she wrote in her memoir. In the lifeboat, Viola was actually handed a baby to care for. When they were rescued by the Carpathia, the baby's mother actually ripped the baby out of Violet's arms and ran off. As if surviving that disaster wasn't enough, she went ahead to serve as a nurse on board the Britannic. The ship sustained damage and started sinking after it ran into a mine that had been planted by a German U-boat. Unable to reach a lifeboat, Jessup jumped overboard. I leapt into the water but was sucked under by the ship's keel, which struck my head. I escaped, but years later, when I went to the doctor because I had a lot of headaches, he discovered I had once sustained a fracture of the skull, she said. Thankfully, Violet left the White Star Line to work on the Red Star Line and worked on a ship doing world cruises for several years. Luckily, she was able to avoid any further ship disaster and retired at the age of 61. She actually died in 1971 of congestive heart failure at the age of 84. So this next story is a little bit out of this world. On November 30th of 1954, Anne Hodges experienced a very rude awakening. As the 34-year-old lay napping cozily under quilts on a sofa in her Alabama home, she woke with a jolt as she was the only human being known to have suffered an injury after being struck by a meteorite. The approximately 8.5-pound, 4.5-billion-year-old interplanetary traveler shot like a bullet through her house's roof at 2.46 p.m. It banged into a large radio console and bounced off her body, causing a large bruise on her left side. Apparently, a larger meteorite split in two as it fell towards the ground. One piece hit Hodges and the other landed a few miles away. The second meteorite can be found in the collection of the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History. 
Moving at approximately 200 kilometers per hour, the meteor lit up the sky in parts of Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi. Hodge's neighbors reported seeing a bright reddish light across the sky, like a Roman candle trailing smoke. Others said they saw a fireball or a gigantic welding arc. They actually even named it after her, so now it is known as Hodge's meteorite. Most meteorites found by humans on Earth are at the range between sizes of a golf ball and a fist. They lose about half their volume when passing through the planet's atmosphere. A great deal of extraterrestrial material also lands into the Earth's oceans. Just moments before Anne Hodges woke, many saw the fireball overhead and believed they had witnessed an airplane plummeting to Earth, so authorities expected to find a crash site. At the same time, Hodges and her mother, who was in the house with her, tried to determine what happened. Because the house was filled with dust, they initially believed that the chimney had collapsed or a space heater had ruptured. After spotting the rock on the floor and the bruise on her body, they called the police and fire departments. With the arrival of emergency vehicles, word began to spread that the Hodges house represented ground zero for whatever happened. At that time when Americans were skittish about the threat of nuclear war and alert to rumors of flying saucers, the Air Force took custody of the object to verify it was indeed a meteorite. Officers at Maxwell Air Force Base promised it would be returned to the Hodges household, which coincidentally stood across the street from a drive-in theater named The Comet. It featured a neon depiction of a comet soaring through space. Identifying the object as a meteorite was relatively easy, but determining the ownership became complicated. The Hodges rented their home, and their landlady, Bertie Guy, thought the meteorite belonged to her. Suing is the only way she'll get it, Ann Hodges said, adding, I think God intended it for me. After all, it did hit me. The case eventually was settled outside of the court with Guy getting $500 to let Ann Hodges keep the meteorite. When Eugene Hodges was unable to find a buyer for it, the family used it as a doorstop for a while before donating it to the Alabama Museum of Natural History. In all the chaos after the meteorite strike, Ann Hodges became a minor celebrity. Her photo appeared in the cover of Life's Magazine in December 13, 1954 edition with an article entitled, A Big Bruiser from the Sky. The excitement of the national attention apparently triggered ongoing health problems for her and contributed to the collapse of her marriage in 1964. She ended up dying of kidney failure in a local nursing home at the age of just 52. While Hodges is the only human known to be injured by a meteorite impact, a cow in Venezuela died after being pummeled by an unearthly rock in 1972. As meteorites have played a memorable role in Earth's history, Anne Hodges' crazy experience will be remembered as well. Okay, so this last story might be the craziest I've heard in a while. So Janine Rogers lives her life like a sitcom. She's basically a female George Costanza. She's one of those very unlucky people that just stumbles casually into danger. When she was 18, Rogers was with a friend on a cruise ship taking pictures. She backed up a little bit too far and fell over the railing into the ocean. Her friend ran to get help, but slipped and knocked herself unconscious. After regaining consciousness, Rogers' friend got the boat to turn around and come back to pick her up. Wow, can you even imagine falling off a cruise ship? Years later, she was walking down the street with her son who suddenly yelled, Mommy, funny bird. It was at this point when a bat swooped down and grabbed her scalp. Panicked, she started frantically knocking on all the doors to get help. But each time someone answered the door, they decided screaming was a better way to spend their time. The screams angered and confused the bat, which started pissing in her hair and scratching her scalp. So crying and desperate, an acquaintance finally gave Rogers the keys to her car so she could drive herself to the vet. The acquaintance opted not to drive Miss Rogers herself. Some of the unfunny parts of Rogers' struggle included being mugged, shot at, 
strangled, and falling into an open manhole. Dying doesn't scare me, but living scares the crap out of me, says Rogers. Just to top this story off, she's also accidentally pants Mr. Rogers at a swimming pool. Yes, you heard me correctly. Not her husband, Mr. Rogers, but the actual Mr. Rogers from the TV show. This goes to show you that your day really isn't going that bad. So I hope you guys are having a great one, and I will be talking to you guys next week. Again, you can reach out to us at all social medias at Casual X History. We would love to talk to you and learn more about what you want to hear on this podcast, so that means a lot to us. All right, well, I guess I'll see you guys next week. Bye.